Shane Heiser, Wealth Advisor, is a non-registered associate of Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC. Securities offered through Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Carson Partners, a division of CWM LLC, is a nationwide partnership of advisors. This is the way to wealth. With host Scott Ford, a jiu-jitsu fighting, woodworking, beekeeping entrepreneur who is also the managing director, partner, and wealth advisor of Carson Wealth. Financial freedom is the goal, and clarity and simplicity is how we'll get there. Let's get to it. This is Way to Wealth. Hello, and welcome back to the Way to Wealth podcast, where we're all about making money simple so that you can fully live and you can fully live now. Super excited today to have with us Shane Heiser. Shane's on the team with Carson Wealth in Hagerstown in Tennessee and super smart and lots of capabilities and a uh, unique story. So very happy to have Shane with us. So welcome to the Way to Wealth podcast, Shane. Glad to be here, Scott. Uh, glad we could do this. It's a long time in the running here. So uh, glad to be on the show. Yeah, man. A couple of false starts there as far as scheduling, but we're all good. We're off and running now. So excited to have you. I like to, I like to always start, Shane, with um, just backstory so listeners can know who's Shane Heiser and why is he with Carson? Uh, how'd you get here? How, how far back do you want to go? Well, I normally start mine at about four years old. Just kidding. Whatever, <laughs> whatever makes sense for you, run with it. Yeah, so the the long and short of it is, um, grew up in a middle class family, and um, you know raised cattle and started obtaining somewhat of a, a small chunk of money and got interested in stocks and you know how to allocate capital and that kind of led into me wanting to get a finance degree, which led into commercial banking, and with commercial banking, and this is, coincides with what we're going to be talking about today you're in a contractual agreement with the other party. And if things go south, um, the, the picture that, that's painted isn't that great. But uh, I always wanted to get on the side of working directly with clients for their benefit. And I felt wealth advisories more closer to that. And so that's hence why, you know, some of the reason I wanted to become a wealth advisor. Um, and then secondly, uh, you know, being able to have a small pot of money and putting it in investments at a young age and to see the compound effect that it has over time um, is also uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to help others do that. So I, I feel really aligned with the clientele simply because I'm on the path of financial independence too. And that's what it's all about. It's about freedom from and being able to do that for for other people when you're on the same journey as them is very impactful and purposeful for me. And that's what brings meaning to my job and um, how I go about doing it is what it's all about, making it simple and uh, doing it for, for just average folks that won't, won't be able to get it uh, otherwise. Why is credit report, uh, important when you're thinking about overall wealth management? How would you, what would you comment about that? Yeah, well, we live in a capitalistic society where you can use other people's money. And I think the premise of it really is there's institutions in the financial industry that make money lending money. And there's a lot of misconceptions because they're selling you products 
And there's good quality ways to use other people's money. And then there's other times where it's not so much. And sometimes people might frame it as a very specific thing when there's a lot of nuance behind that relationship. And I've seen it firsthand in banking um, when it's done right. And I've also seen when it's done wrong. And there's got to be a metric for a regular individual to obtain credit. And so it goes into credit scores and there's different mechanisms and variables that are used to be able to set someone on a scale because a banking institution really wants to know of the total population, are you in the 25th percentile or the 90th percentile of being able to pay me back? And so there's a a credit monitoring aspect that um, as we know, we've heard the big three, Experian, TransUnion, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those are the players that set the scores. They have a good relationship with the banking community. Um, and, and so we all have access to our own credit score, which allows us to borrow money more effectively. And for some folks, it really gets them out of what I would call a, a quality relationship when you're using other people's money. Because if you have a low credit score, then it's really what I would call predatory, even though, you know, that's a harsh word, but it, it really is in some instances, but there's people on the other side of that that make money. So that's why it's kind of set up that way. And it's good for people to know more about what makes up their credit score um, in order to effectively move that metric forward. And it can cost and save a lot of people a lot of money. Um, so getting a good grapple of it in what's arguably complex, uh, is important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's great sharing, um, being able to use other people's money. And then that speaks to opportunity cost as well. And we won't go down too far that today, but it is part of things to think about because people think, well, I got cash, so I don't need other people's money. I'm just going to use cash. Well, that's great, but you are using it. So because you're giving up the interest you could have made, that's the opportunity cost to buy something. And now that, that money's gone forever versus not saying good or bad, something to think about versus having access to other people's money where you can leverage that. And that was what you were talking about, talking to. Well, to be able to do that, you need a good credit score. So just to add on to the comments you were making, Shane, is think of a credit score. So first of all, what's the standard? I think the new standard's about 760 to 780. And, you know, if you're over 800, great. You're just bragging at that point, though, but it's still all good. Uh, the, the, the point is you're in great shape there. 760, 780 is the standard. I think the point would be, where are you? Like, it's important to know where are you in that picture. And the other thing is the importance of it is think of a credit score, let's say one point. So a 719 credit score versus a 720 credit score. One point could make a difference, a pretty big difference. So if you have like an FHA $200,000 loan at one point, that could be like six grand. So knowing your score and making sure you've optimizes, uh, optimize it um, certainly makes sense. So, so on that note, Shane, a couple of things you mentioned, the reporting agency, Equifax would be the third one, but it's like, you can, you can get a report. So, you know, how did, how do you do that? You can go online, right. And, and get access to your credit report. Um, any thoughts on that? If I know you mentioned just a, a minute ago, things that they look for, what, what are some of the things that affect 
uh, a credit report or how can you increase it? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, credit utilization and the makeup and the history of how long you've had your accounts and how many accounts. Um, so there's different uh, categories of, of credit, uh, personal credit, there's credit cards, there's installment loans, and there's mortgages. And having a mix of those um, is a great thing. And then, of course, the credit utilization. So if a credit card company issues you a credit card with a $20,000 balance, it wouldn't be wise for you to use the full 20,000 because that, that means you're using 100% of your utilization. Utilization capacity um, is typically a detriment and takes away from your credit score if it's, if it's maxed out or even if it's at 75 to 60%. I personally keep 20 or maybe even 15%. Um, and that's easy. Just open up a credit card, swipe it once a year, maybe two times a year, pay it off. Don't you don't use the interest, but use it for the credit utilization. That's um, a large chunk of it. And then I mentioned it, different types. It's good to have an installment loan. You don't necessarily need it though. You can still be in a top tier credit just by using credit cards, um, but you have to have the discipline to use those. And then, of course, the, the frequency of and how long you've had them matters too. Um, so opening up a credit card early in your life is a, is a good thing because that's when you really technically start reporting to the agencies. So the longer history you have, the better. Um, and then don't uh, take out too much credit in different accounts all at once. Typically, you um, pull away from your credit score if you have more than three or four inquiries. Um, so they don't like inquiries on your credit. And an inquiry is just if you go to a bank and you apply for something, whether it's an installment loan, mortgage, or credit card, that's an application. You, When you sign that application, you're giving the rights for them to pull your credit and that can be either a hard or soft inquiry. And the hard inquiry means that it's it will show up thereafter on your credit report. And so if I'm going to a banking institution and I just went to five others, they're gonna ask, well, why'd you go to the five other institutions? So that's a negative as well. Um, but I wanna go back, Scott, to your point of cash. If you keep cash in a bank, don't be misconstrued. The bank's using that money to lend out to other people. So, you know, it's opportunity cost. It's also, they're doing that with your money. You're just giving them the rights to do it. Most people don't think about it that way because they don't really see the back end logistics or know how uh, a banking institution works, but that's what they're doing with your money. So you're lending it out whether you want to or not, unless you're keeping it right in a safe or underneath your bed, which we definitely wouldn't recommend doing that. Now there's protections when you have a, a bank account at the bank, FDIC insurance, et cetera, et cetera, but they are lending that money out. Um, and that's how the game works. And that's how the economy with the multiplier effect although we don't want to go down into that nuance works here in uh, the United States. Yeah, totally. So well, well said uh, on the money. And, 
so you mentioned inquiries. You said um, hard inquiries and soft uh, inquiries. Exactly right. And I think the hard inquiry uh, is like they're they're looking for no more than two in a two year period before you start getting dings. I think is the number there. Uh, but when you think about a soft inquiry, what we're talking about here is checking your credit report. You're not going to hurt yourself checking your own credit report. It's a soft inquiry. And on that point, this is something that I faced years ago because I, you know, candidly have had good credit all my life and have uh, not worried about it. And so someone gave me a stat and they said that it was like 83% um, of people have an error. I don't know whether that's an accurate stat or not, but it made me go, what? Well, I certainly could follow in that whether I have good credit or not. So I pulled from all three, a soft inquiry, and I had errors. And I'm like, because you move, sometimes they put the name wrong. All these things can add up to affect your credit score and your report. So I did due diligence, had someone to help with it and actually uh, fix that. And by the way, there are, there are actually companies who will help you with the corrections on the errors. So you don't even have to do it yourself if you didn't want to. Uh, but that's the importance of get it, doing a soft inquiry, correcting them, because you, know, you may find errors. I know that I did and fixing them immediately is going to help your credit report. So something to, to think about there. The other thing uh, you had mentioned, Shane, is just balances. I think about the right, and I agree exactly. You had said 15, 20%, something like that. I think the number is probably around 30 max that you want to be on your um, your balances so that you, that you start going over that. It's going to have a negative effect on your credit. And then really the other thing to think about is people who pay things off every month. And they're like, you know, they're proud of that. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. But when you think of credit score, it's not always the best. And here's why. Even if you're paying it off by the end of the month, yes, you're not paying interest, but for pure credit score purposes, what if they pull your report on the 16th and you're paying yours off on the 25th? Your, your loan to value may be 10,000 max and you're at eight. That's not going to score great. Right. So that's something else to think about as far as how much balance to have. And I think the number is like three to five cards, something like that. Three, probably good up to about five uh, over. That's probably, um, you know, not I ideal. But as far as credit, anything else that comes, I, I, I think that's a good broad overview. And I, you gave some good intel and steps that people could think about as far as looking at the credit. Anything else to, to think on or add on credit? Yeah, I would just say that it's um, something to keep in mind that you have the ability to do that soft pull annually from all three providers and take advantage of that. It's offered to you for your protection. And one other thing you may consider is freezing your credit because then you know no one is tapping into your accounts or inquiring or filling out a falsified application on your behalf if it's frozen. The only implication is when you go and actually do a, a credit application that you want, you'll have to unfreeze. You'll have to ask the provider, whether it's a dealership or a credit card company, who they who they use as their provider, and you'll have to unfreeze that. But that's as simple as a phone conversation. It's well worth it. We all know our data is out there, whether it's addresses, date of birth, social security numbers. There's been so many different credit card providers, even one of the credit agencies, um, they, they had a data leak. And so your information's out there. It's just a matter of someone wants to use it. So I, my recommendation is freeze your credit. 
And then you know for sure whether or not someone is tapping into your personal information and your credit obtaining ability. Yeah, I like that. I agree with that as well. I think that's great advice on that. So uh, thanks for that. Let's talk about interest rate efficiency. So we said one of the bricks is interest rate efficiency and credit. We've covered credit. So what, what are we talking about or what are your thoughts when we're talking about interest rate efficiency? Yeah, so a lot of people get held up on the rate, whether it's 5% or 10%. We all know that in that comparison, we'd rather have 5%. But it's not all about that. And the efficiency piece is the way wealth process is all about cash flow and control. What gives you control? If you're paying off debt super quickly, you're paying less interest. But does that burden you so much from your cash flow standpoint that you may be budgeting on three other areas of your life where maybe in the aggregate picture, you don't want to? So you don't want to be strapped and you can always pay extra on certain things, but if you're obligated to pay, you're definitely paying it and that might limit your cash flow. And we've always said this to clients, Scott, which is it's all about the control. So the difference between a 15 year and 30 year rate for a mortgage might be a couple basis points. It might be a full 100 basis points, 1%, which we can tell you on a $500,000 mortgage, that costs over 30 years, $100,000. But what about the flexibility of if something happens and your cash flow constrained on a given month or day? What's the implications of that? Well, for a company, it's insolvency. And I know in order to thrive, you must survive. And so it goes back to your cash flow capability. Um, and so that's what the efficiency piece in my mind, Scott, is all about, is not strapping someone so much that they're paying back a ton of debt when they might want that cash flow need for something else in a particular situation. Yeah, right on. Saying, I would say, uh, totally agree with that. And think about it for a second. It, it, let's say it's 100 basis points. Let's say the difference between a 15-year and a 30-year is 1%, 100 basis points. Why would the bank do that? Well, because they're back. So you're getting a lower rate at 15. Why? Because they're back in control, because they're getting the money back sooner. They can put that money back to work. Less is at risk they're back in control. So that's what it's about, cash flow and control. So well said, spot on. So a lot of times we get caught up in this interest rate game where interest rates, the lower the interest rate, the better. Well, there's truth to that, but it's not sometimes a half truth is more dangerous than a flat out lie. The other side of that is you're giving up control. And so if you think interest rate, also think of volume. So not just the rate, but what's the volume of interest? So here's what I have you think about. So any of you have bought your first home and you went in and you signed for your first home. And I can remember every home that I've signed for, the same thing happened every time. You walk in and you see the rate because you shop it and you want to get the lowest rate. And then you're at closing with the attorney and you're getting ready to sign and they walk through what you're going to pay over this 30 years or 15 years. And you're like, Good Lord. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought I was financing uh, whatever, a couple hundred thousand. And then you see it's actually like half a million or more that you're paying. That's the volume of interest. 
not the interest or the interest rate. And why that's important, well, that's a lot of freaking money. But two, so much, so many times, how many of us refinance? We pay for three years and guess how much interest you've paid? Like all interest, guess how much principal you've paid? Like none or very, very little. And then you refinance. Well, who's winning there? That would not be you. So that's the vault. You're playing the interest rate game, but the volume is killing because you're just enormous amount of interest rate. Same thing for cars. How many people will finance, get the lowest interest rate on a car, then refinance? Any thoughts on that, Shane? Yeah, no, I, I wholly agree with that. It's funny. Our society is built on really living somewhat paycheck to paycheck and just financing everything. Everything's on the subscription service. Uh, everyone wants to finance everything that you even 40 years ago wouldn't have expected to be financed. And it's just because you want to, it's evening out those payments, but then it's, it's, that's the whole volume piece. The industry wants that volume. And um, I think in the United States, the average mortgage is held for seven years. Mm -hmm. So most people think they're signing up for 30 years, but it, it really is not the case because if you start thinking about it, people change during different periods of their life. And so they have different needs. And so the same house really doesn't fit their needs, whether it's location, size, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, it's just something to keep in mind. Um, and then, you know, another thing, Scott, is you look at it and you say, wow, my finance charge is $500,000 or even $100,000. But is it effective to, can you make more money instead of putting cash into that deal? Can you take your cash and earn a higher rate of return than that interest, which we're getting into a lot of the stuff of, you know, the pros of using other people's money. A lot of people know the cons of it. Uh, some people, but not all people know the pros of it. And so that's just a question because, you know, you could be charged 500,000, but if you're making a million dollars on something, you know, that's a net 500 positive. So that's another thing that we work on with clients because you can use other people's money opportunistically. Yeah, totally. Other thing to think about, I had one more on that. If you just think of, you know, when you're thinking of interest rate and efficiency, you obviously debt liabilities come into that. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, that, that's bad. Well, is it? I mean, it, 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 it not necessarily, right? Liabilities maybe are, but debt probably not. So in other words, if you know, if you you owe five hundred thousand, but it's worth a million, is that five hundred thousand a debt bad? Probably not. You know, it's like it would. So that's something to think about. And then on that note, when you're thinking about, nah, let's pay this debt off. Let's pay this debt off. Well, wait a minute. The more you pay the debt off, let's, let's use an example. Let's say a, a home is, um, and I'll use a, 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 an expensive home. That's just because it's easy math for me. So a million is the uh, value of this home, right? And you owe, is it better to owe 950000 on that? Or is it better to owe 100000 on that? Well, ask your bank that. What do you think they're going to say? They would love you owing in some ways, especially in an economic uncertain time, 100000 because guess who's in control there? Versus if you owe 960 you actually have more leverage and control because that, that they don't have much to work with there. So 
just something to think about when you really, and this is what Shane said earlier, when you're really viewing all this through a lens of cash flow and control, it can change your perspective. So one of the tools that a friend of mine, Garrett, helped develop or a team member of his, and we've tweaked it, is our what we call debt efficiency ratio or debt efficiency score. Uh, talk to me about that. This is a worksheet that we'll use with people, and we'll, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. Feel free to use it. That, that just talks about debt efficiency. What's that, what's that uh, worksheet look like? Yeah, so that worksheet really does uh, a mathematical problem uh, where it, it shows you an output to show you which debt you should pay off first. And it's interest rate indifferent. So it's not comparing interest rates. What it's comparing is how quickly you can pay off debt. And then that's the one we'll focus on. So a 30-year mortgage you know, that's a 30-year term. That's never going to be the one to pay off first. It's going to be one where it's a small balance. And as a percentage of that balance, you're paying the most on it. So you're paying it off the quickest. Because what that gives you is it gives you more control. If we can pay it off in two months rather than 10, that's the one we're going to focus on. Because in two months time, that just was a pure, absolute dollar value that went straight to your cash flow and thus your control. So that's uh, one of the mechanisms we use to work with clients on how do we get back to having more cash flow and thus you having that comfort um, control in your life. Yep, totally. It's what it is. So it's at that at the end of the day, that's what we're viewing everything through, and then put you back in the driver's seat so you can use that good times, challenging times, whatever's in front of us. You know what you know, capabilities do you have? And it puts you in a, in a space where you feel more in control as well. So that's the idea of that actual tool. It's red, gr yellow, and green. So green is something that you're not going to want to pay off. Yellow is a question mark and red is let's pay this off first. And then we can snowball it if you're really wanting to pay down things. Let's start with the red, then to the yellow, and then to the green. So useful tool. Uh, look, I trust this has been helpful. Excited that uh, Shane was able to join me. I told you, uh, super smart and capable. So he certainly illustrated that. And look, we'll look forward to catching you at the next episode of the Way to Wealth podcast. Again, we're all about making money simple, allowing you to focus on living life and living it now to your fullest. So thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. The opinions voiced in Way to Wealth with Scott Ford, Managing Director, Partner, and Wealth Advisor of Carson Wealth, are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Way to Wealth are not affiliated with CWM LLC or Satara Advisor Networks LLC. Carson Wealth, 19833, Leitersburg Pike, Suite 1, Hagerstown, Maryland, 21742. Shane Heiser, Wealth Advisor, is a non-registered associate of Satara Advisor Networks LLC.